Chapter Fifty Seven of the Wyvern Mystery. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Brandon. The Wyvern Mystery by Joseph Sheridan Lefano. Chapter Fifty Seven. Marjorie Trevelyan in order to throwing a light upon the nature of some of the duties of mr archdale we must convey the reader in spirit to some little distance in the sequestered country about twelve miles south of twyford in a pretty nook formed by a wooded hollow close by the old by-road to warhampton stands an antique cottage with a loft and two little windows peeping through the very steep thatched roof and high narrow gable gable and wall alike streaked and crossed with those black oak beams which form the cage into whose interstices our ancestors built their brick and plaster the steep roof runs out over a little porch which has a bench on one side of it another stone bench stands under the lattice window the woodwork of which casement as well as the black spars crossed and mortised in the walls and even the curved black chimney look shrunk and warped by time by which too the hatch at the door is rounded and furrowed and the stone seat and window stones worn into curves and hollows and such and so venerable is the air of the structure with its ivy-bound porch that one might fancy it the very farmhouse in which anne hathaway passed her girlhood here dwelt good mrs marjorie trevelyan some fifty years old and upward with i think the kindest face and pleasantest laugh in that part of the country a widow of many years not very happy in her marriage and quite content with her experience of the wedded state quiet cheerful very industrious with a little farm of three acres and a cow spinning sometimes knitting at others and when she could taking in washing and in all things approving herself diligent cheerful and honest with this kind cheery honest dame lived a little boy the son of a mr henry that was all she knew distinctly about his people she called him her fairy and her prince and when curious people questioned her closely she said that his father was a merchant unfortunate in business as the phrase is that he was living perhaps in concealment and in distressed circumstances or possibly was dead all she could say for certain was that she received a small allowance for maintaining him which was paid punctually every three months in advance and that as to the name of the boy his christian name was william and his surname henry and that she called him her prince or her fairy and he called her granny she idolized this pretty boy and he loved her with the tenderness which a child bestows upon a loving nurse something more than filial the boy remembers no other home but this and no other friend but granny he was now a little past eleven 
his life had been solitary but cheerful was there not the pond only thirty yards away from their doorstep in which he sailed his fleet of ships made of corks which old peter durden gave him he was a cousin of marjorie trevelyan's and lived in the village two miles away he used to call every sunday and to bring these corks in his pocket and a bit of such lead as tea is wrapped in to make the keels of their navy he was dressed in a blue swallow-tailed coat with brass buttons his drab trousers were very short his stockings faded sky-blue and his shoes clumsy and clouded and highly polished he wore a chestnut wig of a long and lank cut and his forehead slanted back very much and his nose came forward and a perpetual smile expanded his cheeks which were as red and smooth as a ripe apple his countenance was not very wise though very good-natured rather silly i'm afraid and i think he took more interest in this sort of shipping than was quite compatible with strength of mind as these ships glided with thin paper sails across the pond while master henry watched them in grave absorption peter's raptures expressed themselves in continuous peals of laughter these were great occasions in the solitary life of fairy there were a set of big boxwood ninepins skittles i suppose with balls battered and discolored i never knew how they got into the cottage but they looked a hundred years old if a day many a game with these on the smooth patch of sward on the other side of the pond had pleasant old marjorie with her darling in its seclusion its life was monastic but not in its liberty the boy was on the whole very happy looking on honest marjorie as mistress of all she surveyed it never struck him that in the points in which her dietary differed from his she was practising a compulsory economy the article of meat was not often found in her bill of fare but conscientiously she placed the little fellow's bit of broiled meat before him every day and told him when he inquired why she had none for herself that she did not like it and that it did not agree with her which he accepted as undoubted truths and wondered and regretted secretly on winter evenings their tea was very cosy a wheaten cake baked on the griddle a new laid egg each and a cup of tea from the many-coloured delf teapot a good deal burnt on the side next the fire with the door barred and the window carefully closed the fire burning cheerfully and their candle lighting the party who so happy and was there not the old robinson crusoe with binding black with age and a frontispiece showing the hero with his grave countenance and beard his tall cap and goatskin dress his musket over one shoulder and his umbrella over the other and recounting his marvellous life in the quaint old type of queen anne and was there not that other literary treasure the old folio volume of captain cook's commodore anson's 
and other seafaring worthies voyages round and up and down the world with no end of careful old copper plates showing pacific islands curious volcanoes flotillas of armed canoes thick-lipped miscreants with rings in their noses and birds tails enlivening their foreheads and long processions of official people priests etc with a small white pocket handkerchief each by way of dress but better far than these which together with her bible and prayer-book constituted marjorie's library was that good creature's inexhaustible collection of fairy tales received traditionally and recounted viva voce and prefaced with the rhyme which even at this distance recalls me to the nursery fireside with the far-off tones of a kindly voice that i shall hear no more once upon a time there was a king and a queen as many have been but few i have seen except in pictures and starting with this little trumpeting and summons to attention the ois 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 an immutable prelude of an ever-varying sequel good marjorie the herald of ever-new wonders would tell her tale of dwarfs and castles of godmother fairies and malignant enchantresses broken-hearted princes and persecuted princesses and enchanted palaces and awful forests till the hour came for the little fellow to get to his bed and enter the no less wonderful land of dreams another person who contributed to the regular entertainment of the boy was tom orange tom orange called at the cottage sometimes at intervals of three months sometimes for perhaps half a year on the first of each month and was always made welcome by marjorie trevelyan and feasted with rashers and whatever else her humble larder afforded and on going had established a mysterious right to a shilling tip which he always made it a point should be an honourable secret among them what might be the nature of his business the little boy neither knew nor cared but tom orange was in the boy's eyes the ideal and epitome of all that was enchanting brilliant and exhilarating tom was somewhat long and lean with a face also long and always smiling except when it was making a grimace an art in which he excelled almost every other blackguard i have heard of his clothes and hat were seedy and for so merry a person he was wonderfully poor tom orange's accomplishments were infinite he could dance a hornpipe with all the well-known airs and graces of a sailor he could protrude his mouth till it assumed a shape quite unknown to physiognomists and with a delicate finger turning his eyelids inside out make the pupils of those organs quiver strangely while he uttered a sound like the call of a jackdaw he could sing a variety of comic songs with refrains delivered with a volubility which distanced admiration and made his very audience breathless and some of these were relieved with occasional dialogue of matchless character and humour he could swallow any number of pennies you pleased 
and take them all out at different angles of his body he could put several potatoes under his hat and withdraw them all without touching either the hat or the potatoes he could keep three balls always in the air together and he could balance two chairs upon his chin in short as i have said his accomplishments were innumerable and extraordinary and the only wonder was how so universal a genius could possibly possess so few shillings and so many seedy articles of dress tom orange too was great at skittles and gave his pupil wonderful new lights he taught him also how to guard stop and strike according to the principles of the noble art of self-defence in fact it would have been difficult to discover a more fascinating companion and instructor of youth possibly it was as well however that his visits were so far between and as brief as fortune ordained them to be it was no wonder however that these visits were looked for by the boy as the return of the life and excitement of an annual fair might have been by the ingenuous youth of some other rural district there was but one point on which marjorie was obliged to impose a prohibition upon the child it seemed a trifle but in reality was a gigantic privation no darling you mustn't talk to any other boys nor play with them nor go near them if you do you'll be took away by your friends and i'll never see you again and what will poor granny do then without her darling and granny's eyes filled with tears and the boy cried and hugged her passionately and this little agony gave place to wild affection and a glow of unspeakable delight and happiness and was celebrated by a hot cake that evening and new-laid eggs and a great tea and stories to no end and she found her darling that night crying in his sleep and was sure he was dreaming of leaving the old cottage and she wakened him with kisses herself crying so these two persons notwithstanding some disparity of years were wonderfully happy in one another's society and if they had each their will would have fixed things as they were and neither grown older nor younger but just gone on living so forever end of chapter 57 recording by john brandon